Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One. Come on, True North, clap for Jesus. Come on. Resurrection Sunday, clap for Jesus. Come on. <laughs> Are you doing all right today? Yeah, you can't have a bad day because it's Easter Sunday. You're not allowed to have it. Listen, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us today. And um, for those that are joining us online for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. We have uh, people, family joining us in overflow. Can you clap for them? Clap for them that are joining us in overflow, which is never our intention, but we make preparations nonetheless for that. And then a special shout out to our family um, uh, in partnership from SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Can you show them some love too? Clap for them. We have a growing family, and um, I thank God for that. Uh, today, I want to share with you something. Before we go too far, I have a lot going through my mind, but before we even begin, I want to pray. And my prayer is a little, um, uh, it's different this morning, because my prayer is, I want to give the Holy Spirit permission to mess with us. Have you ever prayed that prayer? You're like, no, I haven't. Um, I, I really believe, I believe this with all my heart. I believe two things, that prayer is powerful. How many agree with that? That prayer is powerful. The scripture says that the prayer of the righteous person is both powerful and effective. And I believe that. Um, but I also believe that the Holy Spirit, an encounter with the Holy Spirit can change your life forever. And, and I believe we have to be careful because sometimes we've been places before and so because we've been a place before, we think that there's nothing new in the nature of our God. But I really believe that every time we worship and we gather around God's word, that we place ourselves in a position, in an environment to be changed by God. And, and I'm praying today that God would change us, that he would change me, that he would change you, and that our lives would never be the same. How many want their lives to be changed forever by God and just supernaturally just changed? And I actually believe with all my heart, with all of my being, that God can do that. And some of you walked in today with things in your world that you're trying to fix. And you are obsessing about how to fix them and how to resolve them and how to manage them. And I really believe that God 
want you to get to a place to learn how to just pass that over to him, kind of, kind of the, toss the ball over to him and let him run with it and learn how to lean on the Lord and learn how to trust in God. Will you join me? Pray with me this morning before we begin. Father, I thank you for those who have gathered with us today. I thank you for our family, our growing family. I thank you for marriages and families and the young and the old and everyone in between. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. Today, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his victory over death and over sin, Father, may we recognize that what has transpired today is not just an event in history. It's not just a significant moment for the church, but it is something that's quite personal. And Father, maybe more than anything else today, I pray that we have a new revelation of the resurrection. Father, thank you for always inhabiting the praises of your people. We love you. It's in the precious name that we pray. Everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you about the resurrection from maybe a unique perspective. I am um, being raised in church has always been something that is part of my story, and maybe it's part of your story, maybe it's not part of your story, I'm not sure, but being raised in church, I recognize that you're always presented with challenges, just like those who were not raised in church, and, and sometimes maybe being raised in church, it brings with it some incredible benefits, but it also brings with it some, some challenges, and one of the greatest challenges, I believe, being raised in church, if you're not careful, is, is you can view everything in in your relationship with God and even the church, the gathering of the saints, you can view it as common. It's just ordinary to you. And if you do, if you do that, it, it actually, that is by definition, it's a definition of dishonor to view something as common and ordinary. You don't even know it, but you can view something as common and ordinary and what you're actually doing is just dishonoring it. There's no honor to it. And I pray that that never becomes your story, but there is a danger. And I think that happens when you think that you can put your journey with Jesus on autopilot or Jesus just becomes the second, third, fourth, fifth thing in your life. Scriptures teach this, and I'll never forget this verse. It's a, it's a powerful verse for me and my story, Matthew 6, It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And all of those things, you might be saying to yourself, well, what are all those things? They're all the things that you and I naturally try to pursue in our own strength. Trying to get ahead, accomplishing things, a good career, education, a home, a family, a vehicle, all those things. You might say to me, well, are they bad? No, they're not bad. But Scripture teaches us in Matthew 6 that we should not seek after things and worry about not having those things as the pagans do. That's what the Scripture says. But we should trust in God. That he'll faithfully provide all of those things. Being um, in a family of eight children, I realized that, that everyone has different gifts and talents. And one of the things that I've recognized in identifying everyone has gifts and talents is sometimes people in the family can feel like they've been um, shorthanded. And uh, do you ever have someone in your family and, and no matter what sport they pick up, it's like they're phenomenal at it? And you want to celebrate them, you really do. But you just find it really hard because you work so hard at being average and they just pick it up for the first time and they're exceptional. Or the person in the family who no matter what they do, they are so crafty, everything they touch is perfect. And then they go, what do you think? And you're like, it's awesome. And then in your head, you're like, you suck. That's what you're thinking in your head because you feel like there's, I can't do that. I don't have that gift. And I remember being raised in this, in the family of eight and always thinking like, man, 
I do know I've been called special and unique more than any other child in my family. I don't know what that means, but I I know that I've I've always, people always tell me that, and and even in school. They've told me other things, but I'll just remember those things. And and I remember hearing that over and over, and I I remember my journey with the Lord, and and someone said this to me. They, They said, you know, God, and it's in Scripture, that God wants to use us as an instrument. And I remember I, I would always think about uh, early on, my mother made me take piano lessons and I had an early uh, piano teacher and she was so um, concerned about posture, so much so that if your hands weren't where they needed to be, she'd give you the smack on the hands, you know? That didn't last long for me. And, um, but I remember one day hearing that and just staring at the piano and thinking, this piano is amazing. I watched my mother play and my, my teacher play and it's, it's a fascinating thing, but if I don't... If I don't touch the keys, nothing comes out of this beautiful instrument. It has all the potential in the world, but if there's not a harmony of of working together and one bringing what they can bring and the other bringing what they can bring, there's something beautiful and there's a harmony and there's a beauty in that in the same way that God uses his sons and daughters. Vessels. And sometimes the things that you don't even recognize as valuable is the gem and the gold that God's placed in your life. And just because other people don't see it and other people can't recognize it doesn't mean that it's not there. And you might say, how can you even say that? It's not because I know you. It's not because I know your name or your story or the gifts and talents. I don't know your personality assessment. I don't know any of that, but I know who formed you. <laughs> the Bible says that all of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, formed in the image and likeness of God. And I know God uses unlikely people to convey significant truths to us. He does. He uses unlikely people. And you might be like, how can you say that? Well, first, I'm standing in front of you today. This is for, for you, that might mean nothing. But for me, this is very unlikely that I would be standing on a platform. And I went through years of trying to talk myself out of this call I felt to be in ministry, so much so that when I went to seminary to study God's word, I wouldn't even tell people that I was studying to be a pastor. When they asked me what I was doing, I would say, I'm just trying to draw closer to God, which was the truth. But I had so much uncertainties, so many questions, so many things. I remember thinking like when I went there, I don't even know what Habakkuk is all about. I don't even know what this Lamentations in the Old Testament. I don't even know if I read the whole Bible, but I was in seminary. And I was there and I was studying and I was pursuing the things of God and And I know all of us have a journey with Jesus and it looks very different and it's very unique. Some of us have been led to the Lord by the people we love. Some of us have been raised by people who love us who have never encountered God. And therefore, it leaves a void in us and in our heart to say, well, if those before me went without God, then I will go without God. And and maybe there's pain and there's brokenness and loss in your journey and and you have questions that... revolve around your head, every time the name of Jesus is brought up, questions pop up. Questions. Some of the questions are often, God, why do you choose us to fulfill a perfect plan, yet you choose imperfect people? If you were to read the story of Jesus towards the moment of his crucifixion and resurrection, if we turn to Matthew chapter 27, you'll see an interesting character that is introduced. I want you to pay attention as we read this. It says in verse 15, Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival of Passover to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known, notorious prisoner 
whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Now, in the middle of the story of Jesus, when Jesus is the spotlight, the central character of the story, it is his story, and we see someone being introduced to the story, and his name is Barabbas. Now, Barabbas, we don't know a whole lot about Barabbas according to Scripture. We do know from what it says in the Gospels that he was well-known, but all for the wrong reasons. It would be like someone in our culture today mentioning a name and you go, oh, I know that name. But it's not for a good thing. You're like, oh, that person's like in the mob or they got thrown in jail for 30 years or they committed this crime or they murdered this person or they got convicted of this for robbery or whatever it may be. So they knew of this name, but not for good reason. But if we were to go back and look at extra biblical texts, which simply mean historical documents, there is someone who's written and the writings are quite referenced um, in, in circulation with commentators who study God's word by a first century Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. And Josephus paints so much clarity into this story. So much so that he, he recognizes and identifies not only Barabbas, but he recognizes and gives names to the other individuals who were to be executed at the same time. Do you know when Jesus was crucified and there were, he was in the middle of two others who were crucified beside him, according to Josephus, the, name of those, the names of those two thieves were Gestus and Dismas. They had names. They were armed robbers, part of a gang a notorious gang, and they were to be crucified by the Romans. And the Romans wanted to make a spectacle of these, of these gang members because of the law that they had broken. And they not only wanted to make a spectacle of the two thieves that were part of the gang, they wanted to put the, the gang leader on display in the middle. And guess who Josephus identifies as the gang leader? the one and only Barabbas. And Barabbas was supposed to be crucified, executed, along with his other gang members. But this was unique. And it was unique for, for several reasons, Josephus writes. It's unique because the Romans never did this in the past. They never clustered people together, put them up on a high hill, and, and made a spectacle in that way of crucifixion. They typically would crucify people along primary roads in a line and as people were passing by. And, and they wanted to display their authority and their power and their might, basically saying to those whom they ruled that if you step out of line, this is what will happen to you. Now, even today, people will say that crucifixion is one of the most horrific forms of execution, primarily because it doesn't kill the individual right away, it basically allows them to hang and to suffer for upwards of three hours of time. They'll just hang there eventually, their lungs will fill up with fluid and they'll suffocate while hanging on the cross. It's a horrifying thing. But they were ex experts at inflicting pain. And so as you continue to read, we learn some other interesting facts about Jesus Barabbas. As I click the, I have this program on my computer, it's called Logos. It basically makes you think you're smarter than you are. So it teaches you like all these other words and, 
Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek, and it gives you all this commentary. You can get sucked into it for hours. It's fascinating. But when you click on, on Barabbas, it's like Jesus Barabbas. That's what it says. And when you click on the line next to it, it gives a description of his name, the actual meaning of it. Bar, which means son, Abbas, or Abba, which means father. His name literally means Jesus, son of a father. That, that was his name. Now, that might seem insignificant to you and not very personal, but I want you to understand the role that he plays in the story of Jesus. There's something quite profound about it. If we were to continue reading in verse 20, it says, When the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed, the chief priests persuaded the crowd to have Barabbas released and Jesus executed. And they said, which of the two do you want me to release to you? The governor asked. <laughs> and they answered, Barabbas. And then he says, well, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And they all answered, listen to this, crucify him. Why? Why crucify him? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. And this is what he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us. Listen to this. And on our children. And then they released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. It's just interesting observation that Barabbas enters to the, in, into the story of Jesus and that his name means son of a father. That his name is in some way synonymous with anyone who is a son and daughter of a father. And I don't know, I, I don't know if you do this often, but I always try to, in my mind, Maybe this is what the, happens when you have ADD, but I, I always am thinking about the stories or how things would unfold, and I often think, like, what was, what was the, the conversation like when the Roman guard went down to get Barabbas from the, from the prison cell? Barabbas had already come to terms. He was judged. He was tried, and he was judged. He was found guilty, and he was, ex he was sentenced to be executed by crucifixion. So he's there in prison, and then the Roman guard comes to the prison. My mind just races to think, what, what was that conversation like? What was it like? Because he had already come to grips, like, I'm paying for my debt. I, I have, I've committed sin. And, and I don't think anyone briefed Barabbas, like, hey, listen, there's this other Jesus. They say he's the Messiah. He's going to be standing there. They're going to bring you out. Everyone's going to be cheering for you. Don't ask questions. You're not a good person. But they're cheering for you. And then they're going to hand Jesus over and just stand there. It's all going to work out. Like, I don't think anyone briefed Barabbas on any of this. They said, Barabbas, come with me. They bring him out. Pilate's there. Jesus is there. Barabbas comes standing out in front of a crowd thinking to himself, I'm going to be judged for all the things I've done wrong. And yet, he's not judged. He's cheered. Actually, how confusing. He probably thought this person's name's Barabbas too, you know? And, but he's being cheered, give us Barabbas. And he's probably thinking like, wait, what is, what's going on? 
Not knowing what this person had done, not knowing what Jesus had done, though he's done nothing wrong, they're chanting for Barabbas and saying, crucify Jesus. And maybe it took him, I don't know, several minutes to realize and recognize, wow, they want me to be let go. But why? (laughs) I've done so much wrong, and I don't know what that person's done wrong, but I bet you what I've done is worse than what he's done. And so Barabbas is let go. Every time um, we have Easter services, I'm, I have to tell you and be very honest with you, I'm, very, I'm always conflicted, not conflicted in the message that I should carry, but how do you carry a message with such weight in it? And this is what I recognize about us, and maybe I'll speak of myself and my humanity, that we, we, are, we are very distracted in our humanity. And and I might be more distracted than you are. I'll give you that. And we go from one thing to the next and one thing to the next, and we can become so distracted. But this is what I realized, and I figured this out. I, I don't get upset at people who, who don't see significance in being in church on Sunday. I don't get upset by it. I, I, don't, I, 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 don't, I no longer wonder why people don't sacrificially give or serve or love. I don't. I don't wonder anymore about that. And I'll tell you why I don't wonder is because the resurrection, you need to have a revelation of the resurrection, a, re- a revelation of it, and, and, and a personal one. Like if I were to come to you after, after service and just said, hey, why is Easter important? You're like, well, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus. He conquered the grave and he's alive. He is risen, you know. And whatever you say, like my daughter can say that. My son can say that he's five. Like all of us can say that. But why is it important to you? And this is what I recognize. This day... Like when you rolled out of bed, I don't know about you, but I just woke up with a smile. And I had, and I had my, my, half my children were in the, in the bed, which usually gets me very angry in the morning when I wake up. I just woke up with a smile, a foot on, my, on the side of my face, but I woke up with a smile. Because some of you don't realize, but, but everything about his story has to do with your story. And if you really want to understand your story, you need to understand his And so many people are like, no, that's all right. I'm fine with my story. Well, can I tell you something? Even if you don't want your story to be involved with his, it will be. (laughs) It will be. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father except through me. Whether you receive Christ on this side of eternity or not, one day you will stand in judgment before him. I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. And there's this... There's this yearning in the heart. Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. There's always this questioning that revolves in our humanity saying, well, what about Jesus? If it's not personal to you, you won't celebrate God. And some of you think you've misplaced it. You think, oh, I have this sense of guilt. I have to do this. No, no, no. God, Christ never compelled people around him to follow him in this sense of guilt. And so if you're here today and you're like, oh, man, I feel so crappy. I need to come every... No, no, no. Don't let guilt be involved in an equation that never permitted it to be there. It's love, but God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. What compels a follower of Christ is not guilt. That's why scripture says, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Because he took it with him on the cross. And so we're compelled by love. Jesus compels us to follow him by love. Some of you have met Christians that look like they're forced to follow Jesus. And when I say that, you're like, what does that mean? They're always grumpy and angry and sad. (laughs) 
You're like, I just, I don't, you know what? God is good, but you are not. And I don't want to be like that. And, and the sad thing is, is sometimes that's the only reflection of Christianity that people see. A self-righteous, you know, you got to read this translation or you're going to hell. And if you don't do this and you're doing that and all these rules and regulations, do you know that God didn't, Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Do you know what that means? He came to tell us in our humanity that you cannot earn your perfection. No matter how good you think you are, even those who are prideful and arrogant, Christ went to the cross for you. And even those who are self-condemned and beating yourself up and carrying guilt and condemnation, Christ went to the cross for you. When I hear those words, He is risen, can I tell you what I hear? Because He's risen, I will rise. Because He's risen, I will rise. There's something so personal in this story for me. And it's an emotional thing. And you say, well, why is it an emotional thing? Because when, have you ever had someone die for you? The truth is you have. But you just have to believe that he's, what he said was true. Because this is what happens. Christ went to the cross and he died for you. And now you're left to, to question, well, did he really die for me? Or did he just die for the other people? My Bible says that he died for you. And that he died for me. And the only thing that separates you from receiving salvation is a confession of belief and a prayer of surrender. That's all. Jesus went to the cross and took the place of a sinner. Not just a sinner, a notorious, well-known sinner. I just wondered, like, when I first read this when I was young, I remember thinking, Barabbas, that guy, you know. What a bum, you know. I can't believe it. And, and then you start to read the word of God and you recognize like you have that revelation that you and I, we were Barabbas. <laughs> and then even the self-righteous were like, well, well, pastor, I've never murdered anyone, you know. Maybe. But the Bible said this, that if you've committed any wrong, you still can't stand in the presence of a holy and a perfect God. If you've committed one sin, you might as well have committed them all. And the scripture teaches that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I could, you and I could talk about cultural events for a long time. How many of you know that there's a lot of things happening in the world today that we live? Like there's a lot of crazy things. And you and I, though we may differ in many things, could probably find a place of agreement that there are a lot of significant things happening around the world today, in our nation and around the world. I say this with such confidence to know that there's no event in history that compares or will ever come close to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing will come close to that. It's the moment of time when your story actually finds life. And my prayer for you today and for moving forward is that you would evaluate, give yourself permission to ask the question, is this personal to me? You know, you're asking, what will I do with Jesus? My friend, I want you to ask that question before you're standing before him someday. I want, you to, I want you to ask that question now so that like so many sons and daughters of his, you could be used as a vessel proclaiming the goodness of Jesus 
The Bible says that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the grave, you'll be saved. And so many people have a problem with that. They say, well, how is that possible? It's just a simple prayer. No, it's not a simple prayer. It's something that seems to be void in our culture today. It's a proclamation of conviction. It's a statement of conviction. Of saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord. You know what you're saying? I'm dying to myself. I'm no longer Lord over my life. But He is Lord and King. And I believe with all my heart that God raised Him from the grave. And that He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says when you do that, the old is gone, the new has come. You had an experience of being born again. The Spirit is alive. That same power that raised Christ from the grave now abides and dwells within you. I'm telling you, this walk with Jesus is never meant to be just, I'm going to rock up to Sunday, and then I'm going to leave. And then when I'm really bad, I'm going to come back. And guess what? The goodness of our God, He's faithful even when we're faithless. Never condemns. Always seeking to welcome people into the home. And that's what we position ourselves to be as well. One of the greatest things about our Father in heaven is that He's so patient with us. So patient with us. I pray for patience. And I think the Lord blessed me with four kids after I was praying for that. But I realized that his kindness towards us leads us to a place of repentance. And you'll never repent. You'll never repent if you don't have a revelation of what Christ did on the cross for you. You know why? Because you think that you can pay the penalty of your own sin. As we read through the rest of the story... It says that while he was being crucified on the cross, one of the criminals started to yell at him, and he says, if you are the Messiah, save yourself. It was a prophetic fulfillment of what was declared hundreds of years prior. It says, but the criminal next to him rebuked him. Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? For we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> Christ had a heart for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever, you're part of that whosoever, whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but rather to save it. And so many people ask, what do I need to be saved from? You need to be saved from yourself. And often it's the foolishness and the arrogance of our pride. We don't ever want to say, I'm prideful, but often it's the foolishness of our inability to understand and comprehend. Yet we often can't even comprehend how, we, how parts of life even happen, but yet we go about our life just assuming that Sometimes things are just random. They are not random. We serve a God that is a creator, creator of the heavens and the earth that formed you and knows you and wants to walk with you. Man, may today be the day that you get right with Jesus. May today be the day that you allow him to use you as a vessel. After Friday would come Sunday. And I love what the scripture says in, in the gospel of Luke. It says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. When Jesus was crucified on the cross in his agony, as we read through scriptures, it appears that he stayed there for almost six hours, three hours in agony before he gave up his life. The Bible says that there was a supernatural darkness when he said, it is finished. Just like when he came into the world with a supernatural light in the sky that drew men unto himself, the sky was dark. It says that the earth shook. He formed the physical earth, and it was like a reaction to his death. It says that stones broke. Tombs were ripped open. And it says that the temple curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom, signifying this obstruction to be forever removed from humanity. If you've ever heard people say that God makes a way, the reason he makes a way is because he doesn't expect you to claw your way to heaven and to, and to, to earn salvation because it's impossible for you or I to do it. But God made a way from sending his one and only son from heaven to earth so that we could be saved and receive salvation. I want to pray with you today before you go. Some of you might be in a position of just trying to put the things of God off because like one of my friends I recently talked to, have you ever been in a conversation where you're more excited than the person you're talking to? And you're like, you know, and they're just doing the, um, they're just doing like the respectful fake smile. But it's like, you know, like they're trying to not be rude, but you're like, wow, you don't care about anything I'm saying. Well, that was kind of like what was happening. But I didn't care because I was excited to tell them about Jesus. And, and I'm going about this and doing all that. And they almost like interrupt and you're like, yeah, but man, you know, everything would have to change in my life. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, no, no. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he said that, it's like that verse. You remember that verse that's difficult to deal with? That If you don't hate your life, you're not worthy to follow Jesus. You're like, wait, what is, that's weird. What does that mean? Some of us are in love with what the world gives, but not with the one who gave us the world. And my prayer is that you would encounter him and walk with him because what you give up, It pales in comparison to what you receive in walking with Jesus. So I want to pray with you before you go today that maybe you've had a revelation of the resurrection. I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that he cares for you, that he went to the cross for you. And for everyone else, maybe like me in my journey early on, church was just an environment to be part of or in. It's sad to even say that, to be honest. The reason it's sad is because Christ gave his life so that we could be reconciled to the Father. But in a strange way, he also gave his life so that we would be reconciled with one another. That's why scripture says that we are known unto men by the way we love one another. If you want to demonstrate you love God, learn to love the people that you call family, those who are in this auditorium, those who are at your home, those who may be in another state, wherever they are, learn to love. Church, let me pray for you. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here today 
And maybe you've heard the story of Jesus, the crucifixion and resurrection. Maybe for you, this is just part of the the journey that you are part of and the expectations you place on yourself. But I want you to know there's more to life than going through the motions. There's more to life than just going through the, the rhythms and the expectations that society places upon us or maybe the expectations you've placed upon yourself. There is a real God who loves you tremendously. Far more than I can articulate with the words that I have. I don't know how to articulate it. But I think the greatest verse in Scripture in Romans 5, 8 teaches us. And it says, but God demonstrated His love towards us. Meaning he, this is love. This is love. While you don't even believe that I exist, or you don't even believe in me, or you choose to do whatever you want. <laughs> While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a love from heaven to earth. And if you're here today and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it says in Ephesians that we receive salvation by grace through faith. Grace is unmerited favor. I always tell people this is grace. Grace means you cannot, but God can. That's how we receive salvation, by grace through faith. Grace is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work towards it. You can only receive it. And Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you'll be saved. So come on, True North, let's say this prayer. If you're saying it for the first time, I want you to say it out loud. You might be like, nope, not going to do that. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to be the only one to say it. We're all going to say it together as a family. So come on, True North, let's lead people to Jesus right now. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Come on, True North. Clap for everybody that said that prayer. Come on, stand to your feet with me. Today is a day worth smiling about. When you hear those words that he has risen, remember that it means that you'll rise again too. And what an exciting day to be with family and friends. Listen, if you're here and you said yes to Jesus today, I want you to know um, I don't want to like kind of qualify that clap, but I just want you to, in perspective, it was a good clap for those who said yes to Jesus. But this, I say that because the Bible says that heaven rejoices Heaven throws a party every every time one person who is far from God comes back into a relationship with him. And so the decision you made today to say yes to Jesus, I'm telling you, it does not just affect you. It affects everyone around you, and it can affect the generations of your family. And I'm so excited for you. And if you're here today and you did say that prayer, as you leave today, you're going to see this banner to your left that says, I made a decision to follow Jesus. And underneath there, you're going to see individuals who are going to be holding a Bible in their hand. And I want you to go up to one of those people and say, hey, I made a decision to follow Jesus. They're going to give you that Bible. They're going to encourage you um, in any way that you want, but they're going to be there as a resource to pray with you. If you're like, I will not say anything to anybody. I'm going to walk to my car. I'm sprint to my car. I just want you to know something. You were not created to do this life alone. You're created to do it in relationship with other people. So I know it might be awkward for you to do that, but just step through that awkwardness and say, I made a decision. It is by far the greatest decision you could ever make, and we want to stand beside you. Can you say amen? Come on, stretch your hands to heaven. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this family. Father, I thank you for all those that you've placed within it. 
Father, as I begin a message next week to the ends of the earth, the message that we should carry in our heart, Father, may you compel us, may you move us forward to fulfill that great commission. And I know that each one of us plays a part in it. Father, may we not be overwhelmed this week with all that the world seems to present us, but may we remind ourselves that you have already accomplished the victory, the most important victory that is needed, that because you have risen, we will rise again as well. And Father, I thank you that you go before us. May we walk by faith and not by sight this week. Father, we rebuke fear and anxiety and stress in in the name of Jesus. I thank you that your word says that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Father, go with us as we go today. In your precious and holy name we pray. A faith-filled church said, amen. Amen. God bless.